Hi, you're listening to Overtired on ESN. From Objective-C to the OC, from Swift to Taylor Swift, we're here with geek and pop culture that you can lose sleep over. How's it going, Christina? I'm good. I'm super good, Brett. I got my Apple Watch. No. Yes, finally. I decided to get an Apple Watch, but you're way, way ahead of me. Well, I for, for, for listeners at home, um, I did not get my pink, uh, soft pink modern buckle. That, that watch was still seeing June. And eight days after the Apple Watch had been officially released, I had some serious FOMO. So at the Kentucky Derby on Saturday, I was like, I need the Stan watch. So I placed an order for the 38 millimeter stainless steel with the classic buckle. So basically the same model I had, but like $150 cheaper, I guess, because it was not the fancy buckle I wanted. Um, And because someone on Twitter said that they had ordered it, um, on April 30th and got it on May 2nd. So I placed the order on uh, Saturday and I received it on Tuesday. Wow. So if anybody out there wants an Apple Watch, the uh, 38 millimeter stainless steel with the, um, the the classic black you know leather band is shipping quickly. So what's your favorite app with watch integration so far? You know, most of the apps suck. Um, that's kind of in the consensus. Uh, but the ones I really like, A, I really like Workflow. Workflow's app is really good. They've done a really good job with it. And I have to say um, City Mapper, which is a location app, basically um, helps you get to the, you know, get where you need to go, find subways or, or bus schedules or other direction stuff. Um, they have a really good rock job. They've done a really good job with it. I think... I. I the, huh. There's a version of uh, an app called TaskMater, which is an iOS continuation of the older uh, TaskPaper app that was yes. discontinued. Um, and TaskMater just put out a 2.0 release that has like built-in support for notifications and I think direct support for Apple Watch, so you can integrate TaskPaper text files with your Apple Watch. But That's I'm double-checking cool. that right now. Either way, it's a cool release, but... I'm not positive about the app uh, watch support. That is really cool, though. I think so. I, I want my watch to be completely plain text compatible. <laughs> well, we are joined um, as we're kind of been doing this, this whole guest thing. Um, this week, uh, we actually have a really awesome guest. We have Lee Hutchinson from Ars Technica. Um, oh, and uh, really awesome thing. You guys. are truly awesome. No, you're truly awesome. And and Aww. Lee, what was your official title at ours? I am the uh, <clears throat> let's see. I am the senior reviews editor. I run the gear and gadget section. Uh, and I've got uh, great guys who work for me: Andrew Cunningham and Ron Amadio and uh, Peter Bright. Sometimes, uh, and they also <laughs> sometimes let me write about manned space flight. So it's a it's a fun place to be, and I get to do all kinds of cool stuff. And you've been at ours for a long time, haven't you? Uh, I guess in internet terms, yeah. I mean, I've been reading the site since since '98, uh, forever and ever and ever. But I started working there full time in September of 2012. So yeah, two years and change now. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm like, I'm with you. I've been reading ours since since basically the beginning. I remember when they were like the BOS fan site. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was like that was like a really weird chapter in the site's history. Like B, like ours was like BOS Central. It was. It was like a, it was really hilarious, um, and and this that was the first time I ever really experimented with Linux. Was actually during that era. I had like a a K six, a crappy K six uh, computer Cirrus uh, chipset, um, like a it was either K six or K two. I can't remember what it was. What it was. But it was terrible. Um, but but I, I ran you know one of the first versions of GNOME on it and some other you know various Linux distros, and I remember running BOS on it after you know went to, to pc and be like oh, this soul. is kind of cool and i was like oh this is kind of cool this is like in 98 and and, yeah. and i was like eh, no this isn't really gonna replace windows for me sorry guys well you know you ultimately have to have technology that uh, you know does stuff and as amazing as bos was and i mean it was amazing it, it, it was not to digress into bos but a lot of the things that the operating system did that if you if you go and like look at youtube demos of bos it doesn't look terribly impressive you're like oh that looks like you know windows whatever that looks like something that i can do right now well yeah it does look like that but in the context then, of the time yeah it was pretty damn amazing no it was kind of like i mean you could say the same thing about uh, amiga you know from from the oh, 80s yeah. You know, Amiga was was breakthrough. I mean, I, I I love the Amiga community because they're 
batshit crazy. <laughs> to this day, they're, they're, I mean, they are nuts. And I'm actually, tell ours, you, yes, a Linux enthusiast has nothing on a diehard Amiga enthusiast. No, they have nothing on them. And it, it's funny, I, I had this conversation with, a, I remember with, with Andrew and, and with um, Peter from your site at a Mobile World Congress one year. And I was joking also with some uh, some guy, I think, who was at Microsoft at the time, but previously been at HP and had been all throughout, you know, kind of the industry. And we were talking about, like, the most insane fanboys. And I was like, it's the Amiga guys. Yep. Because there are still, like, three or four English-speaking Amiga forums that are basically <laughs> attended by the same 50 or 60 people who are still fighting over the exact same issues that happened 20 years ago. I mean, yeah. Com- I mean, like, Commodore went out of business 21 years ago, and they're still fighting over the same stuff, and it is hilarious. And there's, like, not one, not two, but three different interpretations or attempts to rebuild Amiga. Um, and, yeah. and, and, I mean, like, you know, there's, like, Morph OS, and then there's Amiga OS, and then there's somebody who does, like... I think they call it AOS or something, and it's like Didn't kind the of assets get sold to like Gateway at one point. Oh yeah, Gateway bought them at one point, and then spun it out as something else because Gateway was like, we have no idea what to do with that. <laughs> right. And then that company um, it petered around for a while, and and it, it it ended in a really weird way where like the guy like made a claim that he was going to buy the Kent um, Stadium like in in Kent, Washington. He was going to call okay. it the Amiga Stadium, and then never paid the bills. And <laughs> and obviously the the people of Kent, Washington, never like looked into whether or not this company had the funds to actually buy the naming rights for the stadium. And it turned out like he he had nothing. You know, he like the office had like two people in it, and a bunch <laughs> of you know old old desks. And like this guy's like laid on his payments and didn't have anything. And then he basically licensed the name to this British guy who was building a new Amiga PC, like a modern kind of PC. He found a bunch of chips from PA Semi, the company Apple acquired, that were, I guess, 64-bit and whatnot, and got enough of them to to build this, like, $1,500 super machine that would run Amiga 4.0 from Hyperion Software, which was another UK outlet. Um, and, and keep in mind, none of the modern apps, they still don't have memory protection. Right. So you can have like two gigs of RAM and have all this stuff, but there's still not any memory protection. So like good luck getting stuff to run, you know, without crashing and taking everything down with you. You know, it'd be like trying to run OS 9, you know, on modern hardware yes. is, is basically the equivalent of OS 9 mixed with some, you know, Linuxy stuff. And um, and yet these guys are all still total true believers. Uh, true like believers. One I mean, day, they're gonna, one like, day. The Amiga's going to come back and he, they're right. going to show us. And they're they're going to show us. No, that's the thing. That's the funny thing. So the guy like built these custom hardware things and sold, you know, maybe, maybe 50 of them. You know, I think he kind of had his stuff together and was like, look, this is kind of a hobby project. We know this isn't going to take over the world. Um, but they licensed the Amiga name. And then the first Amiga company basically went broke. And officially kind of ended. Then there was a company that tried to take over the Commodore name, the Amiga trademark. And that guy, if you recall, he built the replica-looking Commodore 64s that were like full Windows PCs, but it looked like a Commodore 64. I remember something vaguely about that, yeah. Um, and that guy's dead now. He died of cancer. But he was also kind of a charlatan in that he would tell everybody, oh, we're going to have tens of thousands of these, and it's going to be this huge success, and my phone won't stop ringing, and this and that. And it's like five people cared. Um, but yes, you're right. If you go to these forums, they still to this day hate Apple. They hate <laughs> Apple way more than they hate yeah, Microsoft because Apple, they think like all the attention Apple got for, for their UI and for their, you know, graphics, you know, capabilities and everything Amiga should have had. And, and I would argue that in video, they're actually probably correct because Lightwave and, and, um, you know, some of the early predecessors to Maya and certainly Video Toaster and some of the early Avid stuff all definitely got it started on Amiga first. Sure. Right. But you know, at a certain point, it's like Commodore went out of business in 1994, and this was like a, a hobbyist computer that never, you know, broke through. I mean, you had other than Video Toaster, which you know, new tech is now you know a whole industry. Other than kind of being kind of the predecessor for like the, the the TriCaster, like and and being the first thing that Lightwave was on. I mean, there's really not a lot you can say that that even professionally people did on it. I mean, some people were doing some high end graphics stuff, <clears throat> but like it was a gaming machine for most people who owned one. You know, yeah. it, and 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 that was basically it. So, but it's it's so funny to me that there's still so many people who are obsessed, and not so many, but 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 a small vocal contingent of people on the internet who, yeah, you're right. Like they will fight to the death. They're like, it, our time is going to come, and everybody's going to know that Amiga really can beat everyone else. And it's like, no, <laughs> no. I think you've no. breathed. I think you've breathed four times in the last five minutes. You you just pulled some serious Melrose Place shit on Amiga (laughs) history. I totally did. It was awesome. I totally did. 
And I'm we impressed. had a uh, like and when I was in high school, we had in our in our visual media class. This is in 90, 95 and ninety six. That's how old I am. We had we had a we had a video toaster uh, that we had acquired secondhand. It was like an Amiga five hundred original video toaster, not a not a toaster flyer. So no non right. editing, just a plain toaster with like VCRs right. hooked up to it. We had and, one that was like that, but it was called a Casablanca. But okay. it was basically the same thing. It was just kind of rebatched. But yeah, where you would take like multiple videotapes and you could do like yep. clip editing. But yeah, but it was. It was still linear, yeah. And and the uh, the technology consultant for the school, kind of the the IT guy before I guess school IT was really a thing. He was like an Amiga hobbyist, and he ran a, he ran a BBS actually that I was really active on. It was one of the it was a big multi line BBS. He had like twelve lines. Uh, in Houston, anybody who happens to be listening to the podcast who is active in the Houston BBS scene, this is Acme Acres was the name of the board. Huh. Um, and this guy drew, he had his, like his A2000, or I don't remember the Amiga model, but he, he would brag that he had like a, like a set of emulator cards in it so that he had basically like a PC on a stick inside yes. the Amiga and a Mac on a stick inside the yes. Amiga. And he could run everything, anything at all, any platform he can run in his Amiga. It's the greatest computer ever. And we had to like... <laughs> you would help us like w figure out how you know because the video toaster had Lightwave five or whatever on it, and he would help us like with production and stuff throughout the school year. But like, it was like, oh god, we got to call Drew to help, <laughs> we to help hear us fix a problem, and we got to hear like while he sits here and like shows us how to do this one thing, we have to hear him tell about you know the latest like way that Amiga is going to rule the world. Just you wait, and yeah, well, <clears throat> unfortunately, not so much. No, you're right. No, but it, you're, you're right, though, because they did. They had those cards. Like, you would have, like, a full, like, computer in it, or you could have a full Mac. And it's funny. There's still people who have, like, A4000s that they've gotten, like, additional, like, daughter boards for and basically add-ons and put more RAM in it and got it up to running at, like, you know, 66 or even 100 megahertz and got up to, like, 64 megs or 128 Jeez. megs of RAM in those things and, oh. like, are still using them. And it's insane, again, without memory, without memory protection. So well, it would be like going back to OS 9. For, for, for video production, not to, I mean, we could beat this to death as long as we want, I guess. The thing <laughs> that I remember that, that, that they did that was so fascinating was that they, um, like, they had this thing, like, the Amiga had this thing where you could run multiple resolutions and multiple refresh yes. rates simultaneously yes. on exactly. one CRT. Like, windowed, even. So you could have areas on your screen, windows on the screen, that where, like, one window area would be one resolution with one actual, like, refresh like physical crt refresh rate and another area would have a different one and that helped somehow with like matching up like ntsc and getting like your video signal output correctly it was like a whole big deal that it, normally as a computer user you don't think or care about any of that but in the video production world this was like a monster big deal um it, it was neat and i don't think anything does that even remotely like that now in the consumer space it's just not something that anybody has to deal with anymore right no but you're right back in the day that was that was a big thing brett were you ever an amica user or uh, abuser or any of that <laughs> I, I i was i was peripheral we we played with next oh okay oh. well see so you had the real stuff i my my guitarist brother had the real stuff your computer i was a pc guy in high school but. yeah i was too i think we were all well i was i was pc and mac but i was i was pc at home and mac at school yeah yeah Yep, PC at home and Mac in the Mac in the labs at school, which yep. I hated and made fun of incessantly. So, so did I, which is why <laughs> it, it then became funny. Although I learned networking on a Mac, like I learned, and back when Mac networking was like the worst thing in the entire world. Um, but I that learned, was how I I learned to hate the chooser. That was like yeah, the, oh my god, the, the the laser jet doesn't work. You get in there and chooser. try to fix the chooser. And yeah, and that, like there's like thirty minutes gone. Press open Apple Shift on the chooser to oh. you know do something. Yeah. Wow. Restart, restart, restart the computer, holding down shift to turn off the extensions to make sure everything will be copacetic. Zap the PRAM. Yeah, zap the PRAM. <laughs> People still say that my mom um, was having some issues with her MacBook. And the, the problem is, is that she has a, a, a 2010 macbook pro 13 inch and and it's still fine for her needs the problem is she needs an ssd in it and and she's you know the the hard drive the you know the platters are are too slow and i told her i was like look i'll replace you know the hard drive for you um but really you know just buy a new macbook like the like the new you know 12 inch macbook you'll be happier with it it'll be thin and tiny you'll really like it just do that um she's like oh i think that i barely use this computer i feel like it should be you know last me longer than it has and and i get that but i'm just trying to explain to her like the dynamics of how hard drives work but she was 
looking on the internet and Googling and be like, how can I make my computer go faster? Not understanding that it's a physical component of the hard drive that is making things slow. And she saw instructions to zap the PRAM and do that stuff. And she <laughs> sent them to me. She was like, do I need to do this? And I was like, no, no. But it's <laughs> funny how that myth still persists to this day that people are like, nope, that'll magically like clear everything. I think it did do something. I, I it just, still I, does. I'm... Apple still lists it in support articles. Really? For, yeah, certain, never... for certain boot issues. I guess, but I haven't ever seen in like modern era Mac, I haven't ever seen it do anything that would solve a real problem, period, in like probably like eight years. It's just part of the thing. You repair permissions, zap PRAM, reboot. Exactly. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it becomes one of those tropes. It's kind of like, you know, Windows sort of thing, like, you know, control, alt, delete and and whatever, you know, that now I can't even remember with Windows. But, you know, there, you, there are those things that you do. Repair permissions, zap PRAM. And it's like FSCK, the chicken. FSCK. Exactly. Oh, right. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's one, it's one of those things. You're like, oh, OK, we'll do this now. Run scan disk. <laughs> run scan yes run scan disk oh my god um so what what's your primary uh machine these days lee oh i've been i've been apple at home for for a long time in 2007 i abandoned the the pc world i ditched my my the the last in a long line of home built pc rigs mm -hmm. i think at the time it was an athlon fx60 which was yeah which was super pricey and it was an unlocked fancy dual core CPU that I paid a ridiculous amount of money for. But no, I ditched it for a first-gen aluminum iMac at the end of 2007, and it's been a string of, of iMacs since then. So I've got a, a, a this is a late, late 2013 model iMac right now, and I've got a pair of Thunderbolt displays so I can have my giant workstation here. And then I have a MacBook Air uh, for, for, when I'm, for when I'm on the move. It's, it's really surprising. It's not anything that I ever would have anticipated the to to be using you know growing up pc growing up militantly pc uh it's it's a it's a really unexpected turn and then i've got a closet full of of linux servers i run a right. couple of websites out of the house and uh so i've got it's linux and it's mac and there's not a there's not a my daily routine doesn't include booting into windows and it hasn't for years and that that feels it feels good although kind of as we were talking before the show i mean who knows at some point Microsoft may do something really attractive on yeah. the desktop, and that may be compelling enough to, like at the end of one of these refresh cycles, jump ship back. And I mean, we'll see. Yeah, no, I've been thinking a lot about that. I don't think I could switch back on a desktop, not a day-to-day -day thing. I think at this point, my software ecosystem is, is far too ingrained in Mac, um, and, and I like too much of it. But mm -hmm. it's, I'm certainly more open to giving it a shot, which is funny because I was really critical of Windows 8, and I was one of the only people who, going into Windows 8, was really critical of it. I mean, I remember at Mashable taking bets with Pete Patchell and Lance Ulanoff over how much of a flop Windows 8 was going to be because I just knew it. I knew that it was going to be like Vista all over again. I didn't realize it was going to maybe be as bad for people as it was, but I just knew that it was too just radically different and and just some of the some of the decisions they made were just not good. Um, and, and like, I, I had to force them to like, write a, like how to bring back the start menu post in advance. And it became like one of our biggest posts for all of our Windows 8 coverage. Um, but, uh, I didn't have to force them. I, I basically just was like, you guys, we have to write this post. We have to write this post. No, in it was advance. a big deal. This is gonna be, it was a big deal. And um, I knew it would be, there was you know? a, there was a video that got put up by, um, oh, what's his name? The fellow from tech TV, Leo Laporte. Um, yeah, I think it was, I think it was Leo Laporte. Um, Crap! No, no, I'm gonna get this wrong. Maybe, maybe it wasn't Leo. There was one of the old tech TV fellows uh, who put up a, a video of, of of a family member plopped down in front of a PC with Windows 8 loaded on it, and the the premise of the video was basically, this guy has no idea how Windows 8 works. He's right. an old Windows user. Go. And I mean, it was like two hours of of frustration trying to accomplish basic tasks just because that right. that start menu gestalt that's been a part of the windows experience since 1995 really the end of 94 95 uh is is gone and it's sort of back now kind of but i mean it was like gone gone and then the marriage of the the metro interface yeah we're not supposed to call it metro anymore whatever metro. the artist for, the, the artist formerly known as metro is <laughs> yes. what i call it M -M and i genuinely call it that in articles i call it the artist formerly known as metro in all of my posts about it you're gonna make your microsoft pr person very upset they don't like that they don't um <laughs> but you know what at, at this point i think the wagon people actually laugh at that reference oh yeah because no, it's i'm funny. sure 
No, they're great. But yeah, I mean, the, the, the marriage between that interface and the traditional desktop, which is still just kind of hanging out there, yeah. is, is a terrible one. And I tell you what my, what, what, what my metric is. The thing that I want to see, like when this changes, when this thing changes, I'll know that, that the Windows interface really has evolved. Um, and I check every time they release a new version of Windows 8 and Windows 8.1, and now with the Windows 10 stuff, I've checked and it's still there. If you go into, uh, like right click on, on the My Computer equivalent and go into Manage where you're in the MMC and go into your system properties and go and like you're gonna wanna edit like system variables and paths, the system variable and path edit box is like this Windows 3.1 yes. legacy. <laughs> yes. uns you can't you can't make it any bigger. You can't resize the window. You can't change the 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 text fields inside of it that show the system path statements are like fixed width and they're too narrow and they have like horizontal scroll. When that dialog goes away, then I'll know that there has been real change on the UI side. And I mean that thing is <laughs> has lived. It's like old enough to vote at this point. That's scary, but I think you're right. It is old <laughs> enough to vote. It, that's 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 scary. No, because Windows 95 is 20 years old, you guys. It is, it is. As of this, I mean, I think we're a few months as short. As of September, yeah, we're a couple August. It'll be August, right? Yeah. I remember I was working at uh, at uh, Babbage's here in Houston at the time, and we worked the midnight launch of Windows 95. Yeah, no, I remember. I remember the, the lines of people. I mean, and the big stories. You know, I mean, I was, was I was in seventh grade, but um, it's funny you worked at Babbage's because my very first job was at the Electronics Boutique, which was obviously a Babbage's evil, competitor. Evil. No, well, I mean, I worked at I worked at Babbage's for three years. It was my first job in high school, and then when the local yep. Babbage's closed, I went over like across the street to the mall, and then worked at Electronic Boutique for another year. So I worked on both sides. Of you work on both sides. Both sides of the and of course it all now has been swallowed by yes, the by GameStop, GameStop monster. Which is funny because I remember when I was at EB and EB bought GameStop. Yeah. And and it it, it seemed yeah it was just it's it's funny how how much things change. I went from from EB to, to Best Buy. Um, was, oh was my, my gosh, I worked at Best Buy saga. too. Are you serious? <laughs> I worked at Best Buy for five years. Oh, I am so sorry. I worked there for, Me I too. lasted three months in PC home office and like I was ready yep. to kill myself. Oh, I worked, I went from media because I'd been at, at, at EB and I thought I'd be good at video game stuff and then didn't realize how vastly overqualified I was for that department. <laughs> they, but they realized that very soon that I was very overqualified. And, and then I went to um, home audio for a second. Uh-huh. Um, and, and I couldn't lift the boxes, so I moved away from home audio, and I didn't know anything about what I was talking about, but I learned very quickly. And then I moved to wireless, and then I moved to digital imaging because I wanted to be with the cameras, and then I moved the back to wireless, and then I moved to PC home office where um, I was very good, and then I, I became a tech who I would work both at the sales and the tech side. So I oh, get to you do get the a, repairs. You a green shirt? Did they do the green shirt? I had a black then? shirt. Okay. I had a black shirt. Very cool. And then I left right as they were about to institute the um, Geek Squad because I did not want to wear, well, A, that place had killed my soul for five years, and yes. B, I um, did not want to wear polyester pants with a clip on tie. And um, I kind of drew the line of the outfit. I was like, this is it. I'm, I'm quitting because they, of the Geek Squad uniform. They used to do this thing at, at the Best Buy store I worked at, the one in Houston here. It's since, I think it's it was store 242 was the number at the time. I think they've since yeah. closed it and moved it. Um, they used to do this thing at the end of the evening where when the store closed, you you like they'd shut the doors you'd and you'd clean and bright the shelves. And yep. then after, after doing clean and bright, you'd go to the front of the store and they would do the sales meeting for PC Home Office. Yes. Where they would like go down like who sold the most PSPs yep. that day and PSPs of course is not the Sony PSP no 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 the, the performance service plan yeah the, the basically the extended warranty the $200 the extended warranty the $200 thing that's this insurance policy through AEG that we got no commission on but our sales manager did so they yes. certainly cared a lot we the, the salespeople did not get anything on nope. it but they did but yeah they go through the numbers and what was our what was our attachment on accessories oh. what was our what was our PSP percentage what do, was our revenue they would do the most humiliating things to people People who were underperforming on PSPs. The lowest PSP performer at, at the store every day had to get up on the cash register or the cash register counter and do the chicken dance in front of the oh entire store. And it was like this ritual humiliation. And I mean, it was, it sounds funny, but I mean, this was no, like, it's not. That's like, bad. like would give me nightmares. Like the day before, if I was going in and working at clothes, I'd be like, all right, I have to get in there. And if I don't sell at least one PSP, I'm going to have to do fucking chicken dance. I swear to God, I'm going to kill somebody if I have to. And, and I mean, it, it was a, it was a, I don't know how much we, how much terrible things we can say about Best Buy, but it was like the worst place to work ever. I mean, it, you know, I was 18, 19, whatever, it paid the bills that, you know, put gas in the car, but oh my God, that was an 
awful place to be just absolutely soul destroying so did that positive punishment technique work though absolutely not all it did was make you want to just like hide or not even come yeah. to work and call in sick although some people it would if you got brainwashed into the weird cult of best buy yeah yeah and some folks were really good well, at certain it. I mean, personalities respond to that kind of yes. thing way better Totally. Yeah. I mean, for me, I would probably wouldn't have responded to having the chicken dance. Probably just would. I probably would have been like, I would quit over that. But certainly, yeah, like, but, but certainly, like, wanting to have the best numbers in the in the store mm -hmm. and and wanting to be like positively positive reinforcement and certainly like making bets with other stores and other departments. I mean, that stuff. I cared a lot, and like I said, I wasn't paid on commission. So, and I would, I was even cognitively aware. I was like cognizant the fact that I'm really just making my sales manager rich. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. I was I was completely aware of that without any without any doubt. You know, I'm not a dumb person, but I still cared a lot. And it was a weird thing where like I was going I was in high school and college when I worked at Best Buy and you know, they wanted me to work there full time and I kind of started to see like even consider like could I make a life in in retail? And no, I mean that's not really what I wanted to do. Not not to not to in any way like uh, demean anyone who who does that because uh, frankly you work your ass off and, oh God, and yes. you know sales managers can make a very good living. Store managers make a very good living. It's hard hard work, but it was just not really what I was going to school for and what I was doing other stuff for. But I kind of got sucked into the cult of the whole kind of machine and definitely cared a lot, you know, about the whole process and, and, and drank the Kool-Aid, so to speak. I mean, I never was fully all in. I was always a little bit like aware of my surroundings, but I certainly cared a lot and was definitely a team player. And I mean, when my wireless department that I managed one summer while I would, cause I would work full time during the summers when we were the number nine department in the entire company, you know, in terms of sales and accessory attachment, like I was super excited, yeah. you know, like I was super proud that like our little, you know, store in Atlanta, you know, store, um, store, uh, 503, um, was, you know, number nine and, 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 in you know, services when I was in the service department, you know, it was the same sort of thing where we would have like sometimes be like the number six, you know, department in revenue for the entire company. You know, you, you care about those things. You want to get people with more add-ons, but it was one of those weird things where you'd have to balance, like trying to, they try to get you to upsell somebody a repair for something on a computer you know they don't need you know versus oh, yes. uh, oh. and i i wouldn't cross those lines i never crossed those lines no they but, had but, us we were supposed to we would inboard psps if we had to which is lowering the yep. sale price by the amount yes of we would PSP. do that too we would we wanted to we had a thing we had a, a short period of time where every pc that went out the door had to go out with a printer cable like a gold yep. yeah the gold cable. printer cables yep or and i mean whether they had a printer or not and they were like you know the printer cable has to go out the door it's just well okay so wait Brett, what was your soul-sucking high school slash college job? Well, in high school, I started working at a uh, digital pre-press. Actually, no, I started in a bindery where it was basically factory work, just all day repetitive. And, uh, and I knew that I was not cut out for anything that involved customer service. But then I snuck back into uh, the digital pre-press for the bindery and got a job running tape backups for them at about 1 a.m. and would go around through all their Macs. And that was actually where I started to learn how to use a Mac because I had always avoided them in school. And uh, I, it was actually kind of a dream job. I was going to say, that sounds kind of neat. It sounds like there weren't say. a lot of customers to drag you down. No, <laughs> right. not at all. <laughs> it, it was just, just me, the only person in the building. <laughs> I, I enjoy that. It wasn't until after college when I worked for a fashion company and it was yelled at and screamed at daily that I <laughs> discovered soul-sucking jobs, but I left. <laughs> so, so Brett, last week we talked about your uh, your new app. Um, remind me of the name again. Stretchlink. Stretchlink, um, which I've used a few times. Um, it's uh, your Mac app that makes it super easy to uh, expand um, links and uh, get rid of those nasty redirects so that everything is clean when you copy stuff over from the web. Um, but you've got another project too, right? Yeah, I uh, I launched the shuttle today, for lack of a better name. I have a, a mind map with uh, like 120 possible names on it, and that one ended up being the safest and the friendliest for search somehow. But anyway, it's uh, it's a let's start at the beginning, can we? Yes. Do you have an Apple TV remote? Like I the do. little silver sliver one? I have several of them. I have them for my Apple TV, and then I have one for my iMac. 
Um, with with and, all of those around, have you ever found yourself unable to find any of them? Uh, yes. In fact, I'm not really sure where it is for the Apple TV right now. I think that it's. I think I know where it is, but I end up being forced to use my iPhone. And then the crappy yep. thing about that is that Grant can't use the iPhone to control it because you can only be logged into one Apple only one phone can be used as a remote at once really i never tried yeah it, but. Because, be, well right because the thing is is that we have different um app we have different like apple ids and since you can only have one apple right. id um matched to the phone or matched to the app the apple tv you've got to be logged in with an apple id grant's <laughs> phone won't work on it that's to, funny to be the remote yeah okay but anyway so these things are you basically you can lose them under like a piece of paper on your yes. on your table let or, alone if it's if you're in, in bed or on the couch, like it's just gonna right. fall. It's the, gonna disappear. Just disappear. And do you, uh, have, do you have an Apple TV, um, Lee? I have uh, no, but I've got uh, like two minis in the living room. One of which is the is the home P, the home theater PC, and like same deal. I have no idea. I think I've got five Apple remotes in the house. I don't think I can tell you where any one of them is. So therein therein lies the problem. And my first solution was to tape my remote to the back of a a larger television remote and that was ugly so then i started prototyping in uh with toilet paper tubes cutting them apart and trying to make something that added just enough bulk to not lose the remote and uh and now as of today i'm launching the finished oak handmade apple tv remote holder it's at a premium price it's currently 59 as an intro price but uh it it i've been using the current prototype for I think six months, and I have not lost my Apple TV remote one time. Same remote, six months, never had to look for it. So describe this thing, and it's basically like a little uh, caddy kind of for your yeah, Apple TV it's, remote. It's a block of wood that's been sculpted to give you like a comfortable palm feel. And my wife has tiny hands, and I have huge hands. So this is designed to work for any hand size. And then it's sculpted on the back so that the area where your, your index finger lies is is concave so that it feels just perfectly natural like it's big enough to have bulk but not so big that you have to stretch around it and then it keeps the buttons right at your thumb as you would normally have them but normally those little silver remotes are also uncomfortable to use like they'll dig into your hand if you hold it long enough and this fixes that as well and they are they're finished wood it's like uh amish tech it looks great i love them I sent one and to Merlin, man. He said it improved his life. That's amazing. And so you're you're selling these on your Etsy store. Um, are you making these by hand? How are you making these? We're there. I have a stock of uh, of stuff we've made in my dad's workshop. Uh, mostly, my dad has made because I have no skill with woodworking. But um, I design. He builds, and we're making them to order. But we have a current stock ready to ship in three different finishes. So these are Very these cool. are like artisanally crafted, like bespoke holders that you exactly. would make like to order. Yes, That's I mean, because totally cool. really, I mean, you can tape your remote to the back of another remote if you want to. But if you want it to look great, to look even better, then then that was the problem I was trying to solve. That's right. That's very cool. Um, and uh, so you want to tell us why it was important for you to get this out this week? Well, there were rumors going about. And uh, <clears throat> some discussion, I believe, of uh, a new Apple TV remote with uh, touchscreen. Not mm-hmm. touchscreen, but like a uh, multi-touch. Touchpad thing. Touchpad. And and I don't know yet how much that will change the form factor of the remote. And these are, because they're wooden, they, they're a tight fit to keep the remote in. You just right. kinda, you slide it in, but then it will stay. Um, so any millimeter change in the dimensions of the remote and there will have to be a second version of the shuttle but i figure there are a lot of people that are not immediately going to be getting the new remote and those silver apple remotes have been around long enough that i can sell the stock i have totally yeah i know those silver apple remotes have been around since i mean when i got my 27 inch iMac in 2000 nine it came with one of those and then the new apple remote obviously um from uh, the Apple TV from 2010 came with it. So, yeah, I mean, we've got at least, you know, five or six years of, uh, of remotes out there. And, yeah, like you said, people aren't going to be getting rid of those. Plus, if you can sell the stock you have and maybe if you do have more build-to-order things, like you can, you know, if, if this is successful, you can just, you can make adjustments to your prototype and, oh, absolutely. and make one for the, for, for the next version. That's the plan. And I figure if people love it for a couple of years and then get a new remote, they'll want to buy it all over again. So I'm, I'm cool with it. 
So what is the? I'm looking at the at the images here. There's like a little like nubbin on the front of it, um, kind of above where your palm goes. What's what's that for? So the it, it, when we started trying to produce these in higher volume, and and spend less than you know ten hours on one piece, we found a method that allowed us to basically concave long strips, and then do the gluing and sanding, and the result is an open gap on the bottom. So if it weren't for the pin, which is what you're seeing, okay. the remote could potentially just slide right through the holder. No one wants that. So this, this allowed us to, to make something uh, feasibly uh, reproducible. And it, it's, it actually, it's a brass pin. It looks kind of nice. Um, there's a matte black version available where the pin is painted over and smoothed down, but I don't love the matte black version. I like the wood. It's totally cool. That's some that's some like Tim Cook supply chain management right there. Yeah, it is, man. I'm I'm working to do a mass produced resin version, but I have some some phone calls left to go through on that. Yeah, yeah, because if you do the, the resin, would you have to like look at? Um, yeah, I mean, because yeah, you probably need to get some factory time and and I'm, I'm I don't and even then know a what... whole Kickstarter to deal with first round production and everything. And... Totally. Kickstarter. Yeah. Well, I. We uh, and you should you should uh, talk to to Greg PDX if you uh, if you start going the resin or the metal route for that matter. You, I don't know who you're talking about, but he's uh, he's Duncan's uh, partner on the Luma Loop. Again, I've been very head down. I don't know these words you're saying. Sounds, it sounds fun to say Luma Loop. You know Duncan Luma Davidson. Luma Loop. It sounds vaguely familiar. Do I know him? Yeah, you know him. He um he's he's a photographer and, and he did the Luma Loop, which uh, Gruber's written about, and and uh, it's it's like the most amazing, like strap for your for your camera. Like it's an amazing camera camera loop strap, and um, um. Okay, I'm looking it up. Yes, I I am familiar with this. Well, Greg is his partner. Who lives in Portland, and um, does a lot of metal work, and he's um did all the metal work on that stuff and he's amazing nice um all right well yeah i i have a contact that can get me plastic resin wood uh sourced from some very good factories in china but i would love to explore options yeah yeah you should and um there's a yeah if, if you get serious about wanting to do this on, on kickstarter too we'll talk offline because i know a lot of kickstarter people who've can probably give you advice and and uh, things to look out for on the manufacturing side and all that stuff. Can start so those kicks. The uh, the Etsy <laughs> shop though, before I forget to mention it, uh, I named the shop uh, off the top of my head. It's called Nerd Usefully, and you can find it at Etsy.com/shop/nerdusefully. I'll probably make a short URL short URL for that, but then uh, stretch link. Then, will then we'll have to be ex- it. it'll be stretch linked. I was gonna say yeah. <laughs> You make a short URL just so you your app that, that that stretches and gets rid of those things can't get rid of it. I got a letter from Discovery Channel today that because they wanted to feature Stretch Link. Nice. That's I, cool. I think that's awesome, but I, I don't, it's it's a little scary, I guess. So tell me, like, is this is this a tool that I can use? Where like, if I have a Google search result in front of me, if I copy that Google search result, I get this gigantic, <laughs> crappy, terrible that, URL. Will this help me sir- with that? SERP URLs are next on the list. It currently it has the capability of stripping all query strings from a URL, but oh, that will break a SERP URL. Right. I hate that um, so much because they're completely dependent on the query parameters. Right. Right. So, I, I, at its base, this is really just designed for. I would copy links from Twitter, and get the Tico URLs. Mm-hmm. And the Tico oh, URLs yes. would redirect to an Owly URL, which would redirect <laughs> no. to a Bitly URL. Yes. Right. And it would throw in all of the query parameters so that Google would know, or like the Google Analytics would be able to track every click. And I didn't want that. And it's actually a lot of trouble to have to open every URL, wait for the browser to resolve it, copy the clean part of it, and then paste it. So this just does it automatically. Awesome. And it's it's, it's a buck, right? Or is it two bucks now? It's currently a buck. It will be through the end of this month. Very cool. Unless it goes on the Discovery Channel, and then maybe I'll just bump the price. I don't know. <laughs> There's this uh, blog article from from Sam Sophie, a developer, independent developer, who actually he's about to start at Venmo, so he's not going to be indie dev for much longer. But uh, basically, wrote about how he sold or made it to the top number eight spot in the Mac App Store, number one in graphics, and 
um, when he was out with the, our, our friend Matt uh, MB from a Tumblr, um, you know, they were thinking, oh, you probably got like 10, 10 grand. Oh, this is going to be great. And it turns out, you know, he his $5 app had grossed about 300 bucks. Yeah, there was a point after Mark II's release where it was higher ranked, even in gross, it was higher ranked than one password. So seeing that, I ran to my computer thinking I was rich. But no, it, <laughs> my case is very not, similar. Not so much. <laughs> that's, that's unfortunate. That that that's a, that's a shame. Um, but uh, his app, Redacted, is actually a good app. It reminds me a lot of a bug shot from Marco Arment um, for iOS, except it's a Mac app. And it's basically just kind of like a sketch sort of app where it makes it easy to redact certain information from screenshots or um, other stuff. So to, you know, add, you know, pixelated or black text to things. So rather than having to open up, you know, your text editor, it's just a little quick, little one-off app. And, and I like apps like that, even though I've got tools to do it in Photoshop um, without really necessarily needing to do it. I still bought the app anyway, just to support him. This um, it looks great, but I I have to mention that Dropler has this now, so you can oh, snap it? a shot, Ooh. you know, with a crosshair, hotkey yes. crosshair, drag to blur, send it, and you get the and the link is in your clipboard instantly. It's nice. I love it. Drop- well, does it just do the the Gaussian blur, or does it do the 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 what are the other thing is the, the pixelation? The pixelation. Yeah, there's the word I'm looking for. Does it do that too? Because I've I've heard and read that. If the if the Gaussian blur applied is below a certain threshold, yep. it's actually really easy to walk it backward and see what the what the thing being obscured was. It does ten pixel block pixelation. Nice. The uh, perfect. The dropper one does. That's nice. That's uh, yeah, uh, and that's typically what I use like in Photoshop. I yeah. um so Dropler they just changed their whole pricing plan. Plan they now have a freemium thing, and then their their paid thing starts at ten dollars a month, which is kind of pricey, but I guess okay. Um, it's interesting because they've gone up in price, and so has Cloud App. And I've been using Cloud App for years with my custom domains, even though I know a lot of people like Dropler better. Um, Cloud App for for a while was was ahead for me, but now I'm thinking. I mean, as much as I like both of those services, and I don't want to like criticize them, but at a certain point, I go, you know, I pay ten dollars a month for Dropbox. I pay ten dollars a month for the for for you know Apple's Drive stuff. I do it for that. Like, do I really need another service to pay ten bucks a month for? Um, to be totally honest, I don't think I do. Um, so I've been thinking about going back to uh, DropCloud, which is the the kind of the, the self-hosted um, Dropler or uh, cloud app service that uh, we talked about. Um, many moons ago, Brett, and that guy, um, I mean, he still sells his app in the App Store and also sells it direct, and it's all open source, and he's making updates all the time um, to basically, you know, if you want to, you can do it on AWS or on your own VPS or on whatever and basically create your own, you know, um, uh, clipboard sharing yeah. app. I, yeah. do, I, do, I do that with uh, using Drop Zone. Like, I can send any of those, but I still like Dropler. Because A, I get a custom domain, B, it puts nice wrappers around various media types, and C, I can, uh, I can add a plus to those and get direct links uh, that automatically resolve to the Amazon S3 URL, and I get uh, metrics on them. Yeah, and I mean that's the interesting thing about um, you know uh, the, the 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 Drop Cloud app um, is that it basically kind of does all those things too. Um, I mean, at least in terms of the the. the um, Does it give you metrics? Can yeah, you see you how can. many people clicked a link? Yeah. Well, this is really interesting. I might have to look at this because I've looked at kind of on the other side of it, on the on the cloud side. I've looked at setting up own cloud before and trying to kind of roll my own Dropbox, but it just it just got so complicated so quickly, and you've got to deal with PHP and all this crap on the back end. Exactly. Uh, something like this looks actually like it's kind of neat. Yeah. It's basically just like cloud app, but you're hosting it yourself. Yeah. Much simpler than having to get down in the metal with with own cloud or something where you're dealing with a web server side too. Right. Like. Neato. Yes. When, when you host your own, my biggest fear is always um, my servers disappear faster than Amazon servers. <laughs> so longevity is an issue. Well, no, I and mean, that's the thing. You can like do it on your own AWS thing. Yeah. 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 Which I mean, like, basically makes it not that different than what you're doing, you know, with, um, I guess, uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, basically, doesn't make it any different than like it, what you're doing with Dropler or, or you know, um, Cloud App. This is probably yeah. true. Neato. 
So we wanted to have you on, Lee, to basically talk about, because we talk about this on Twitter all the time. You're one of my favorite people on Twitter, and I, I always, you are, you genuinely are, and I love making Wayne's World references and movie jokes with you. As long um, as you don't mind my high level of swearing on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> please, you're talking to Christina Warren here, who uh, ended an official Mashable video with I'm an Apple Watch asshole. Um, <laughs> and uh, which which I thought was hilarious and completely worth it. But uh, no, um, we, I, I love I love your cursing. Please curse more often. But Fuck no, yeah. uh, you, we talk about and this is something Brett and I have talked a lot about before, which is kind of like you're a digital hoarder. You say that's how you classified yourself. I, I would I would I would self classify as that. Absolutely. I love that because I am also a digital hoarder. Although most of my things are across many drives, strewn all over my apartment. I wish that I had a better organizational system, as it seems like you do. So, do you want to get nerdy with us and tell us about your hoarding yeah. setup? How long you've been hoarding? How you keep oh. track of everything? <laughs> and then and then we can talk about my problems, and then we can we can bring in the the organizational expert and all that. No, uh, I mean, it's, it, it, computers make it easy. Um, and it's, I mean, I've got, so I've got every email that I've ever sent and received, starting with when I, when I first got into using like the like transition from BBS, BBSs to, to internet. Um, I was using, um, uh, Netcom had a, had a service called NetCruiser that was kind of an all-in-one thing. That was my first introduction to the internet. Um, sort of AOL-ish, except instead of being America Online, it was Netcom and it was straight internet, not any uh, not any walled garden stuff. Um, and so, and my first, I've, I've pulled up as we've been talking here. I've pulled up my my directory where I've still got all of my old emails. At a certain point, I switched to using. Um, I graduated off of off of Netcom after a couple of years uh, and went with uh, a local ISP that's no longer around called Texas.net uh, and switched at that point to Outlook. And then had you know the gigabytes of of OST and PST files that everybody has, but with the NetCruiser stuff, it was all stored in text message, or I'm sorry, in text file. And I've got um, I pulled up here. So my the very first email I ever sent was uh, in the evening of June 19th, 1995, and it was to uh, a buddy of mine named Morgan who was a coworker at at Babbage's, um, which is where I was working at the time. Um, and the email, as most emails are, basically says, hey, I'm just going to read it. Hey, here's my email. Make sure to reply to me so that I know what my email address is. And <laughs> then I sent that. And I think that's like kind of the kind of like the archetypical first email. It's like the, hey, I'm emailing you. Email me back so I know what my email address is. Um, and I mean, as I, as I go through this directory and I've got... 600 emails here that span the course of the first year or so in the outbox and another 382 I guess that's the that's the outbox and 600 in the inbox it's just it's like talking about Babylon 5 it's talking about Star Trek stuff it's it's, it's like finding out I mean everything was so new back then it was <laughs> like talking about like Usenet, my introduction to Usenet and finding out that Usenet is this place where, like, if you thought BBSs were dorky, here's where, like, the really crazy people hang out. <laughs> and being introduced to the the uh, the moderated Babylon 5 news group that J. Michael Straczynski would occasionally stop by and post stuff in. Um, and it's not just that. I've got... Um, I've got a, uh, I've managed to drag with me from computer to computer to computer for decades this, this WordPerfect installation. So I've got like a WordPerfect 5.1 install with all of like from, from elementary school on all of this like, you know, just crap that I've written. Um, you know, like, like terrible, like Star Trek fanfic that you write when you're in fifth grade, like all the way up to, to stuff that I wrote just like relatively recently, every once in a while, it's nice to go back into WordPerfect and experience like the way things used to be. Um, so I've got all that with me still. I have to use DOSBox to get into it now because it's, you know, a DOS program. Um, and then hiding in the closet, I've got a Synology NAS with, um, uh, two, four, six, eight, ten with with twelve terabytes raw in it. Um, so I guess that's about ten terabytes usable, and that's mostly ripped uh, DVDs and and Blu-rays from the from the DVD and Blu-ray collection that I have to have because yes. I'm I'm that way. Um, I am but too. I don't, but the discs, I don't want the discs. The discs are just a means to an end. What I want is the ripped discs. Yes. So that I can use Plex and actually watch them and enjoy them like on the TV now and right and, and everything. Right. And, but, but now now do you rip the full disc? Um, like do you basically do like like a like an exact copy or do you 
you know try to get rid of some of the extraneous files to compress things no, down? No, I've got I've got kind of a system. I'll pull the. Uh, I mean, unless it's something like, unless it's a disc like the Ghostbusters DVD, which has. I kid you not, the greatest DVD commentary track ever. Yeah, it's it has Ivan a really Reitman good. And it's good. It's a good it's, one. If, unless it's something exceptional like that, no, I'll rip the main feature and the 5.1 audio track. And if there are like foreign language subtitles, like if they're speaking like German or whatever, then I'll rip a uh, rip and hard burn a subtitle track in. But no, I generally don't pull the whole thing because, I mean, it's kind of like the 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 thing from DVDs is after you know. After the 90s got done with and we got into the 2000s and DVDs were normal everyday things, you know, who really goes in and watches all of those special features? Maybe for some things, like with the I love the, the commentaries. I love the commentaries. I, I do for some, for some movies. For some movies, they're brilliant. Um, and I, but I don't keep all of them. For movies that I love... I'll, I'll keep the commentary track, but generally, no. That is the major lesson of digital hoarding, though, is, mm. like, you have to, over time evolve an understanding of what you will ever use again there's this temptation to just back everything up everywhere but then after you know 10 years of doing it you realize there's no way you're ever going to you know watch the commentary track for a movie you didn't like to begin with or or check you know emails from an account that was abandoned you know four years into the internet and like some things you just i lost at one point terabytes of this kind of hoarded data and uh i i realized about a year later that i, I didn't miss the vast majority of it no and i don't think i've gone into a lot of it and i let go um games i've let go so many games because i used to have terabytes of ripped games that i'd bought i'd buy yeah. a game on, on physical media and yep. then i would want to keep a copy of it but i wouldn't want to have to like keep the disc so i'd rip the disc and keep it well now between steam origin and good old games um I, and i've repurchased so much stuff on good old games even stuff that i still have the discs for just because Same. it's, it's like, more convenient uh, to, it's more convenient yeah. to, to to just repurchase it on good old yeah. games rather Cost than tracking it out yeah. and you don't have to deal with it anymore right yeah. but but as far as like the things that i place the most value on and the things that i make the most effort to keep are like the emails and the personal correspondence and the old stories because you know, as I get older and older, going back and reading like that crappy Star Trek fanfic I wrote in fifth grade is 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 heartwarming. It's neat to see like the window into your mind from that point in time. And the fact that you can carry all this stuff with you digitally uh, and there's really no penalty for it. You can with the fact that search is so pervasive, you know, on, on the Mac spotlight finds anything. You can index network drives on Windows. The search option is similar. Um, on Linux, you, you can use locate and find like anything by file name anyway. Search is so pervasive now that the the old idea of tying an organizational scheme into your information really isn't something that you have to have anymore. And I know that, you know, that was kind of going to be a, a, a design goal of, of, of uh, Longhorn before Longhorn became Windows Vista was that, that sort of data-driven file system, WinFS or whatever they were going to call it, where the the metadata was incorporated into the file system and you no longer had to care about like what the directory name was or coming up with an organizational schema yourself the files metadata defined its own schema and was part of its organization um, and i mean we're not there we don't have database driven file systems yet but the pervasiveness of search uh, i mean i don't know when the last time i've really navigated through finder to find a file is it's just not something you have to do anymore you just you know bring up spotlight type of thing and there's the file that you need well and that's been apple's and goal very clearly ever since ever since next i mean like to kind of remove the the file system all the drilling has been a long-term yeah. goal and icloud's actually getting close to that with a more tag-based application specific file system i mean it's still the same file system on the disk but from the user interface perspective, it's it's completely abstracted. Sure, I, you know, and I feel like I should be making more use of tags than I am, and I'm, I have very very minimal tag usage. I, in fact, I think I don't. I think I've, I've assigned anything. I don't think I have assigned any tags to any files, like beyond just being like, how does this work? Oh, it works like this. Okay, but I know that like it makes things so much easier, especially if you if you actually do have complex organizational needs. Um, and and you're and you're doing you know huge amounts of data, especially pictures or video or anything, where it's not 
in the types of data that don't immediately adapt themselves to a textual kind of search tagging with, is, with is date amazing. for file names and things like that yes. yeah exactly because my my number one rule i learned from my first five years of tagging was don't tag things that are already metadata like don't don't tag hmm. 2013 on the file like that you can already search in spotlight for you just need right. that one keyword that's going to differentiate it when you look for all your photos from 2013 minimal tagging that's my Excellent. new website minimal tagging.io because minimal mac announced its last post minimal mac is going away did you guys read that patrick i Rose? did yeah no, I, I did that's that's really sad you can still get the t-shirts for the next two weeks though i'll put a link up that's yeah that's really sad it's, um it's i, I he, mean, it's time, he knows I what he's doing he, yeah and the way he phrased you know why he was ending it was perfect i i um, i wish him the absolute best I love Patrick. Why no, did he, why did he say he was uh, he was ending it? Well, he's he wrote a book, um, and it it contained the quote saying no to one thing is saying yes to something else, and that's basically how he uh, kind of bracketed the closing of Minimal Mac. Was huh. he had new things, new things to do, responsibilities to take care of, and Minimal Mac had served its purpose. It was a complete. You can buy it as a, a paperback book now. It's it's perfect. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. That's interesting. Now, speaking of which, I mean, kind of along the same lines, I'm sure you guys saw a week or two ago, uh, we ran that announcement, ours ran that announcement from uh, John Syracuse. Yeah. He is retiring from Mac OS reviews, too. And, and that's another era-ending thing. That is, it is definitely the end of an era, but another thing that it, you had to think that it wasn't sustainable to keep doing no. that for infinity. For yeah, I, I mean, 15 years. I is... totally respect the decision to oh, say, I okay, Absolutely. I did it. I'm done. Absolutely. And I, and I wondered, like, before coming to ours, like, I wondered how much work goes into that kind of thing. <laughs> and then after seeing how the sausage is made, I mean, John, God love him. He basically has spent six to eight months of every year for the past 15 years on, like, that year's review. Exactly. I mean, and, it, and, and he has a real job, too. That's not yeah. like what he was doing full time. No, that's a huge uh, commitment. That's a, that's a tremendous commitment and an emotional commitment too, because I mean, I can't speak for John. I don't know what his, what the inside of his head is like, but if I was in that position, that would be like six to eight months of like, you know, perpetual panic <laughs> from how I approach deadlines anyway. Uh, I wouldn't want to live with that like year after year after year, even though the work he turned out was absolutely amazing. It's like one of the, one of the things that got me onto the Mac side in the first place was reading his Mac OS reviews, because they were so, I mean. No, they were amazing. I mean, which is why I think it's so great, you know, that they released, you know, the later ones were released in ebook form. I yes. think I think they'll be great. Like I bought, I bought, you know, I bought the last three, I guess, that were made available in ebooks, mostly to support him. And, and also just because frankly, it's easier to read. Okay. That would be a cool thing if like he released like an, a digital anthology of all of his reviews. I wonder if he's going to. I could ask. Um, yeah, I, it'd be a neat thing for him to do. Uh, I don't know what. I the mean, I think that would take like, a lot of work. Yeah. I mean, well, right, but I mean, I think that would take a lot of work. Maybe split it with Conde, whatever. But like, you know, have some sort of share or something like that. But I bet that would do really well because he's written literally, you know, tens of thousands of words. Oh, each one of those was. I mean, they they got longer um, and then tapered off a little bit. But the average yeah. length of a John Syracuse OS 10 review is 30,000 words. Right. So you're talking, you know, <laughs> you're, you're, you're talking, you know, a, a few hundred thousand words um, of. Uh, yeah, I mean, you're basically talking about half a million words. Yeah, you're, um, talking, you're talking about a Robert Jordan novel. Basically. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> precisely. And and so, you know, to have that in a digital anthology, I think, you know, you sell it for 50 or 60 bucks. Shit, sell it for 100 bucks for diehard fans, people who want to support them. Oh, and you it's, know? I mean, it's a slice of, it's a slice of it's OS sli 10 development yeah, it, it would be. I mean, I think that the hard thing there would obviously be like, you know, not just the rights things, but, you know, going back and making sure that you have, you know, contextual links and the screenshots and everything looking fine. But like... Well, then you yeah. have to do the DVD commentary. Well, you do. Right. Well, well, see, he can just do that on ATP. He can just have, right. <laughs> he can just do the ATP commentary and, and, and Marco and Casey can, can come in with some hypercritical analysis. Um, oh, audiobook. Audiobook. Oh, my John God. John Syracuse are reading a 30,000 review, <laughs> 30,000 word oh review to God. you in an audiobook would be fantastic totally listen to that i would totally get in on that action i would too we should we should kickstart this for john if he's not going to do it 
think John at this point would run screaming from it. No, I think he would. But like, if we could like guarantee, like, this is one of those things I wish that I had more time because I'd be like, look, I will find you an editor. I will find you somebody to do this stuff. We just need to package this because this is something I want out in the world. You can always hire a celebrity to do the voiceover track. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh, who, who would we get to be the, no, that would be really interesting. Well, I would choose you. You'd get it done in like 15 minutes max. <laughs> that's true no but that would be but I, I flip all over my no i couldn't do his him justice no his 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 reviews are, are his reviews are amazing it was kind of like one of those things like when anand you know re- retired and and went to go yes. to apple i mean because anand actually he was one of the guys that got me kind of to go back to the apple side like at home like i used you know the machines at school and in college and i liked mac a lot but you know i was still a pc person and vista was kind of my final like thing i was like screw this i'm done but it was also the fact that you know i'd been using them more and more and once they went intel i was like i can do this at home and i won't you know fear anything but anon's reviews when a voice like anon's speaks up and and backs something yep it makes you reconsider like long-held prejudices and i had completely reaction no because he was like he was one of us right he was like that i mean he was nerdier than all of us he was like better than all of us (laughs) yes he was way better he was he was the like you wanted to be like anand like he was like if you were a, a a builder tinker any of that like in the day he was like the guy you wanted to be like you read his stuff every day and and so when he started doing his his mac reviews i was like okay fair enough and it's still so funny you go back and look at those things and read the comments and even <laughs> even even to the very end you know the comments on his mac post it was a lot of times from newer people who were like the, the the windows kind of fanboys who would be so disparaging to him and i'm like do you have any idea who you're talking to like do you yeah. have any idea that the entire like ecosystem of all this sort of like motherboard reviewing and and gpu testing and all the stuff that he's created like would not exist if it were not for this guy so like he's not gonna he's not some paid shill by apple i mean now he is but like that's well, he's not a shill but i mean yeah. he's who knows what he's doing they're probably designing chips um i don't know i don't think they ever actually said what he was what he was no doing. they didn't they didn't but i know that that, that uh who was it a uh, uh, clug who had who'd been on yeah. his team is like i think he's on the chip design team oh okay okay well good good for them because he was another really smart one. he was super smart i mean like he had his own authoscope like he like you know what i mean like yeah they had they had their own like tool sets which is just in in our field you know lee yeah and, and brett too you know because you've, you've you've been a writer you know like it's rare to see people that really i mean i love it when i find somebody who's like I love it. And I hate it when I see somebody who's so much better than me at what I do. Because generally, I'm like one of the best people at doing what I do. But like people like Syracuse, like my my Mac reviews, I never would even try to compete. It'd be like I'm gonna try to do the secure. The, I was like, look, if you want the really in depth review, I would always link to his thing. I was like, read Syracuse's. If you want like the two thousand word version, right. you know. Well, most most tech blogs do not incentivize a writer to write beyond a thousand words no i mean well but but even for me it's one of those things that even though i I like to go on and on like i'm not i would not be able to be as good as john so why would i even try you know it's like i I can't emulate that just the same way if i did a hardware review like when i would do my heart well when i still do it's like i'm not going to do give it the anon treatment because i'm not anon you know like he's going to go above and beyond and be as nerdy as i wish i could be but i'm not so i'm going to try to you know be nerdy in my own way but try to be like okay what's what's the voice and perspective i can give aren't but hyperlinks I love it. wonderful yeah attribution that, links that's what i'm saying <laughs> precisely i agree and that's why like i'd always link to those guys i'm like this is like you know that's that's the one for all the nitty-gritty i'm gonna try to tell you in real language with some nerdy bits you know tied in but i always linked it to john's you know um reviews every single time I, I, i've written an os 10 review uh, for mashable so i guess you know five of them now um, or, or four of them, because I guess Snow Leopard, um, Lion, Mountain Lion, Mavericks, Yosemite, five of them. Um, I've always I've always linked to him, and um, yeah, I don't know, it was an end of an era. Did you see that he got a uh, he got a retweet from Phil Schiller when he I announced did. his retirement? That was that was that felt really gratifying. And, you know, it yes. was like yes, to see that kind of recognition coming out for for the work that John put in was was neat. Yeah, like t- you have to get to a, a pretty uh, high level before Apple will acknowledge that they read you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we know they right. do. They, like, and at the same change, time, but... at the same time, every once in a while, John would pop into the to the IRC uh, channel 
because uh, we're we're crazy. We still use we haven't moved to Slack yet. We're we still on to Slack. We, no, we 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 are on Slack now. We love it. Yeah, we're still IRC in it. Well, that's so because John, your writers know what IRC is. Ours don't. Know. <laughs> that's true. So John would pop in the channel every once in a while, probably at least once a year, with like some kind of story about he how he had to go to the local Apple store because his you know Mac needed service or whatever, and like the geniuses were totally rude to him and had no idea who he was. And it was always like, <laughs> don't you know? Don't you know who you're talking to? But he never did that. But no. we all were like, we are we were all like, John, why don't you just like pull rank and be like. I'm John Syracuse. You should fix my Mac, or I'm gonna write 400,000 words about how terrible you are. And he was like, "No, I don't want to do that," because he's a classy guy, not like me. I would. I was gonna say I would totally pull I rank. Totally I would have nuts. no problem pulling rank. Like, do you do know you... who I am on the internet? Well, no. It's one of those things. I would probably just use my work email address. And they'd be like, "Oh, oh, oh. like exactly, exactly." No, I don't no. have that kind of pull, unfortunately. <laughs> Well, um, I know that Brett's got to get out of here, and you've, we, we've been on him for a long time. This is so great. We would love to have you back again sometime, Lee, to talk I more. Would, I would love to be back. I had a great time. Uh, whenever you guys have uh, an opening in the schedule, I would be happy to swing by. We would love to have you and talk more about all kinds of nerdy topics, because you're, you're like one of us. What, can you believe it, Brett? We didn't talk about pop culture at all. I know. I, I feel slightly <laughs> robbed. But, <laughs> um, but, uh, but where can people find you on the internet, Lee? I can be reached on Twitter, which I stare at all day long. My Twitter handle is Lee Ars, Lee underscore A-R-S, uh, and you can find my writings at ArsTechnica.com. That's A-R-S-T-E-C-H-N-I-C-A dot com. Fantastic. Brett, where can people find you? BrettTurpshire.com, TTScoff everywhere else. And uh, you can find me at mashable.com slash people slash Christina, uh, ChristinaWarren.com, which I desperately need of a redesign. If you've got ideas, shoot me an email. And um, I'm on Twitter, film underscore girl. And uh, be sure to rate and review us on iTunes because that really does help a lot. And, um, and if that, you enjoyed uh, this very technical episode, check out Systematic also on ESN. Yes, check out Systematic also on ESN, which is one of these things you should interview Lee for Systematic Brad that would be good you totally should like I'm, I'm just it. you know I'm, I'm gonna play like a weird like role here and like make you like agree to something <laughs> for fear of being rude on the internet but no actually I think you guys would have a great conversation yeah I'll, I sure. will I will ping him outside of the chat very cool all right well um you guys um I'm remarkably awake for right now. I think it's because I'm still on my Apple Watch bliss. But for everybody else out there, uh, go get some sleep. Get some sleep, Christina. Get some sleep, Fred. The system is going down low.